0: Acts 1, we will be beginning a new series in Acts, and just so you know, uh, we will read all of Acts together, Uh, but it is a hefty book, and so there are going to have to be things that we do not talk about, there have to be things that we, uh, stories in there that are amazing that we can't fully unpack, Um, so just know that, Uh, but we will try to, as best we can, Um, keep the main things the main things, Um, and so we will search for and find the gospel in that. But, Acts 1, as you sit in your chair today, you are part of a 2,000-year-old history of God working through his church. How did we get here? Well, Mission Church was planted in 2011 by our founder, Eric Creekmore, and this was possible thanks in large part due uh, to a generous mother church Fellowship Bible Church in Dallas. Fellowship Bible Church in Dallas was founded in the 1970s by Dr. Gene Getz. In fact, it is believed that Bible churches in general, like if you hear of a Bible church in uh, like kind of a denomination, if you will, they began around this same time because of the movement of Dr. Getz to preach the Bible, and that's how you get Bible churches. Dr. Getz was a professor (coughs) at Dallas Theological Seminary and he was formed by them. DTS was founded in 1924 by a man named Lewis Perry Chafer. Chafer was taught by a man named Cyrus Schofield of the Schofield Bible fame. Uh, Both of these men were from a denomination of churches called the National Council of Congregational Churches in the United States, and that's a mouthful. Uh, And this denomination formed, I think they were very focused because they formed from a split of another denomination. Uh, It was actually two denominations, both Presbyterian um, and another one, I don't remember. Uh, but, so they, they're simply congregationalists. Uh, congregationalism got its beginnings in the 17th century by Puritans who wanted to decentralize the leadership of the church from one man, the king of England, uh, to the local church body or the congregation. So it's, the king's not here. Like, let's, let's focus on us. Like, let's, let's lead um, each other. One of the most notable pastors of this movement Um, was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He's part of our history. The reason why the pilgrims and Puritans came to the American colonies to purify the church in the first place was because of something that began across the globe a century before. In 1517 in Wittenberg, Germany, a man by the name of Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of local Roman Catholic church, explaining 95 different ways that he believed the church needed to be reformed in order to remain biblical. This began The Protestant Reformation that started Puritanism and and pilgrims being in the American colonies. But before Martin Luther, you can see we're going on a journey. Before Martin Luther, we came from about a thousand-year period of just Roman Catholicism. Beginning in the fourth century when Constantine legalized Christianity for the first time in the Roman Empire's history. The same Roman Empire that killed Jesus. Uh, This opened the door to make Christianity the official religion of Rome, and thus we get the name Roman Catholic Church. Before the 4th century, we have the very beginning of the era of God's church, around 36 AD, roughly, um, after Jesus passed, to about 68 AD, roughly. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. All of this rich history of strong men of faith and weak men of faith, and sometimes those are both the same person, and of notable heresies that we have learned from and of seeing nothing less than God's divine providence over it all, it has all led up to where you and I are today. Sitting in these folding chairs, in a warehouse in Talti, on the outskirts of Forney with a terrible address, in 2019, everything that we have ever done or will do is part of this history now. We have joined into this 2,000-year history and every part of our rich history Begins here, in the book of Acts. How? After Jesus' earthly ministry and after Jesus was crucified, he left the the apostles with a promise of the Holy Spirit helper to come. And he's going to give them power, and he's going to give them a commission and authority to be witnesses of the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hence... And by the Holy Spirit, they went and the church exploded across the globe. Acts is a turning point in history. It marks the beginning of the Christian church era, of which we just traced our history back to. Every church, if they thought about it long enough, could trace their history back to the same. It's all going to start right here at the beginning of the church era. The book of Acts is a second volume written by Luke. And he was uh, a physician, so we can call him Dr. Luke. Uh, The first thing he wrote was the gospel of... Luke, yeah. He didn't write John's or Matthew's. Um, as the second volume, Acts is a continuation of what God had uh, continued to do through his people, his church, after Jesus ascended into heaven. So the church is nothing more than the continuing ministry of Jesus. So the book of Acts could actually be entitled The Acts of Jesus Through the Apostles and the Church by the Power of the Holy Spirit, but Acts works. We'll keep it at Acts. Um... Luke was a physician, Dr. Luke, which would have made him wealthy and very educated, but he also traveled and interviewed those on these journeys. So he, where the church went, he's following, and he's interviewing in depth, and he's got a whole lot of wealth of knowledge about everything that's going on, and so he records everything together carefully. Together, the books of Luke and Acts are regarded as one of the most beautifully and artistically written works in history by non-Christians and Christians alike because of his attention to detail and his precision and his artistry in writing. Acts was written to the same man that Luke wrote his gospel for, a man by the name of Theophilus. Maybe Luke was discipling him. Maybe he was helping his faith grow in some form, but in any case, this is the key context for understanding the whole book. It's a historical recollection of what has happened It's not a letter, it's not poetry, it's history. However, it is history, it's not merely a recording of history, but a recording of history of the whole church with the purpose of helping another man to have faith. So, just to put it really shortly, it's history with a bias toward the gospel. Luke wanted Theophilus and anyone else who read it to behold, more than anything else, the good news of the gospel. Thus, our rich church history begins in the same way that we strive to keep it today, gospel-centered. We are not anything new or exciting, and we've not, we are not God's gift to the earth. We're simply stepping into what God has been doing for over two millenniums, millennia, 2,000 years. One note before we do get going in the book of Acts, though, as we read through it, Um, we have to know it is a history with a bias toward the gospel. So the book of Acts is not a guide to how church is supposed to be now. The book of Acts, it's not a prescriptive text of how we are supposed to apply these things and then we see the spirit work in these ways or if we do these things, then our church will explode in growth too. No, we are simply reading what has happened, the history of what has happened and gleaning (coughs) wisdom about the gospel in it to strengthen our faith in the same way that Theophilus, when he would read it. It's a history with a bias toward the Gospel. (laughs) Will we see works of the Spirit like this in our time? Who knows? Only God knows. And only the Spirit can manifest the Spirit. So, we will remain faithful to the main thing. And the main thing is the Gospel. Because all of these other things, healing is amazing. Seeing the Spirit (laughs) move is amazing. All sorts of things like that are amazing but if we do not have salvation from sins, it doesn't matter. So we will focus on the main things. It is to behold even more clearly Jesus Christ and him crucified, yet risen and alive. If the Spirit comes and and heals in this time of going through Acts and we see signs and wonders, that's great. But signs and wonders can never be the focus. So, we will focus on the main, thing, the main thing of Acts, and that is the gospel. So over the course of the series of going through the book of Acts, we will see the history of the Acts of Jesus through the apostles and the church witnessing about the gospel by proclamation in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in short, this is Acts, to the ends of the earth. So let's read with all of that in mind, <coughs> Acts 1. In the first book of Theophilus, the gospel of Luke. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered... The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Judas, Judas Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Achildamah that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied, accompanied, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we open up your word, that you would open it to us, that you would open our hearts and our souls and our brains to what you have for us, God. If there is any pride in us, would you humble us? And if there is any despair in us, would you lift us up so that we are right where we need to be to hear exactly what it is you have for us in your word? Help us to understand and to gain even more wisdom about the gospel. And Father, if there is anything now that we think, that I say, that comes into any of our minds that is not from you, we pray first that you would protect us from that and that you would keep it from our minds, keep it from my mouth so that we have a right understanding, a right and proper understanding of you and who you are and your gospel. God, would you give us hope by it in this time? Would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you heal those who are far from you? And Father, would you save And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 1, just running back through it. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So there's kind of a hint as to the rest of it. It's going to be the continuation. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after being crucified, killed, and buried in a tomb for three days, Jesus arose from the dead and presented himself alive by many proofs. That is, he went all over the known earth at the time, not being bound by time or space. It's an amazing, like he appeared to two men physically on the road to Emmaus, and he walked with them, teaching them the scriptures, then disappeared as they were eating. And then he appears a little bit later back to miraculously. And then even in this book, like the setting is taking place in a locked room because they're hiding because Jesus was just killed. So they're, they're hiding because they're like, well, we hung out with Jesus. They might kill us. And Jesus just shows up, says, peace to you. D- don't freak out, peace to you. Uh, but I, I'm here. By many proofs of all kinds, he is showing that he is indeed alive, which is utterly crucial to belief in the gospel. If Jesus is still in the grave, then none of what he promised will ever come true. But he's alive. And we hinge our entire history and faith on it because in it, our God shows himself mighty over death that which we deserve. If God cannot defeat death, then we have no chance to see Him. But He does. So He stays a while with them there, and then verse four. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the (laughs) Father, which He said, "You heard from me." It's this is the promise. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So they're living a while together as Jesus is appearing and disappearing as though it were a normal thing. Uh, But while they're there, the apostles, they surely could have asked any number of questions like, so how are you alive? Uh, Or how are we baptized by a spirit, not water? Like we've seen the water one, we get that. You dunk. um, And maybe they asked a lot of questions, but the only one recorded that we have from them as they sit with the resurrected Jesus is found in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's an odd question for uh, us a little bit, but it's a great question. Jesus, our people have been awaiting this age when you, our Messiah, would come to us. We've been waiting for 4,000 years for this, but we have a question. All the prophets of old, when they spoke about this age, they really talked it up. They talked it up to be amazing, and we're really excited about the potential of this new kingdom. Is it? Is it now? Are you are you doing this now? Because they know Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 4, and then verses 8 through 10. And then in the next slide you'll see. But the first one, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad; the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom. Abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then eight through 10, and a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. So the apostles are sitting here with this resurrected jesus and they're maybe thinking i don't is this the joy? I thought it'd be better than this. Like is it okay, well maybe he's doing it, maybe he's going to restore the kingdom? Like is this the time? So they're they're asking, Jesus, is this the time? It's an amazing prophecy of the age to come found in Isaiah. But is it now, Jesus? Are you bringing in this kingdom? Because we are tired. We are weary of this kingdom where sin and death reign and rule. We want to be restored fully and forever. Are we finally done here? On the road to Emmaus, the two men that Jesus were talking to, uh, they didn't know that it was Jesus at first. Uh, he had to reveal that to them. Um, but it, they're actually talking to Jesus, and they're essentially saying, like, well, yeah, we thought that the Messiah came, but he died, so <laughs> it's probably not him. Um, and then Jesus at that time opened their eyes to the truth of the prophecies and, and revealed, this, revealed himself to them the same way he does here. Because they're not wrong. The kingdom is coming. And it's kind of here, it's just not all the way here yet. This is still the age we live in today. The Messiah has come. He has offered repentance and salvation to all who would believe in the substitution of their sins for his righteousness. This is a past event for us. It happened, but the kingdom is not fully here yet. We aren't in heaven. We all know that. We still sin. We are still plagued with death and illnesses and mental disorders and muscular dystrophy. An atrophy. But we have an eternity in the kingdom to come that is secure in Jesus by faith. We are already saved, yet not fully saved. So what are we supposed to do with this? There are a plethora of men and women on television and in sermons that give dates and, and times and there are entire ministries devoted to trying to figure out when Jesus is gonna come back. Um, and some of them are sweet people. They just have simply a wrong thinking, a wrong understanding. Other people are manipulating this time of Jesus to come to swindle people out of their money, and they prophesy that the, the, world is com- the, the end of the world is coming, and so buy this bucket full of space food, and you can live you know, during the apocalypse, but uh, you, like, you're going to be okay. It's just $700 for this little bitty bucket of space food. <laughs> I got a little work I don't think they know that the punishment for false prophets is death, but um, in both cases, no matter the heart, they are wrong to do this. Why? What is the way to think about the kingdom to come? Look at verse seven. He said to them, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but What you should know, don't focus over there, but what you should know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria and to the end of the earth. These are the last words that Jesus ever spoke on earth. Our Lord has laid down the mission for those who would believe in him. This is the mission of the church. Jesus takes their focus off of the, the kingdom that they're thinking about and he broadens their scope to the entire world to show them the global nature of his kingdom and then he shows them and then he shows them their purpose in it to be witnesses. It is a call to bring a message. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he has come. He died to pay for our sins. He was resurrected and now he's exalted in heaven and now he calls All of us who believe in him to receive forgiveness of sins, this is the good news of the gospel. There's no club to join, no system to climb, just Jesus to receive and eternal life in him. These geographical designations are shocking. Maybe not to us, but to them at the time. Jerusalem, that's where Jesus was killed. Judea, they've been rejected there. Samaria, Samaritans are considered lower than human beings. To the ends of the earth, they're all Gentiles. This is socially and ethnically unheard of, but it shows the beauty of the diversity of the kingdom. Where people of every tongue, tribe, and people group, like the ones that we pray for, where we all dwell together under the same Lord in the same kingdom. Just look around the room. We are all completely different. However, as simple as the message truly is that there is a free gift of grace in Jesus Christ, as simple as that message truly is, it requires a cost. The word for witness here is literally translated martyris, martyrs. Those who are killed. Those whose blood is shed because of what they bear witness to. To be a witness, it will cost our lives. The way of this kingdom is one of suffering now and glory later. Suffering before glory. But the death that we experience now is nothing in comparison of what is to come. The call to witness is to all who have the Holy Spirit. That's every one of us who claim the name of Christ. It's for us who believe. It's the call to take up our cross and die daily. Our Christian lives should never be marked by how comfortable our lives are. We cannot escape the mandate from our Lord to bear the cost of maybe even our lives for the sake of witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the purpose of our lives is woefully small if it is only about our comfort. What does it matter if at the end of our lives we've done nothing but enjoy it? What does it matter if at the end of our lives we have these little trinkets that we're trying to save and keep and like, oh, this is, this is life right here, the beach, the whatever. What does it matter? The purpose of our lives is not about us, thank God, but about glorifying our Father in heaven by witnessing no matter the cost, even death, to the good news of the gospel that forgiveness of sins and eternal life is not only a possibility, but a reality for those who would believe. The last words Jesus ever speaks attest to the call. Will you answer? We aren't going to ask you to go and witness this week to two people. There's some value in that, I think. Um, But what it does is it makes it an event that you can go and do as opposed to a lifestyle. It's better translated when you see uh, in Matthew 28 of go therefore and make disciples, it's better to translate it as as you go. It's not, a, it's not an event to go to, it's a lifestyle to incorporate. I desire for your heart to be changed by the gospel and for your life to reflect that. So in what ways are you a witness for the sake of the kingdom? Or, what are the reasons you give yourself for not witnessing? Are your comforts better than the eternal sake of your friend who doesn't know Jesus? Because we choose one. Where do we? Where are we to be witnesses? Uh, In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's concentric. So you see, Jerusalem, little circle. Uh, Judea is the next region, Sumeria is the next region, and then to the ends of the earth, obviously, we get that one. But it's a concentric circle, here, 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 and here. All of these at the same time. There are two major interpretations of this text. Some say that we are to take it literally, um, and that what, what we would be in here in this tri-area with Talti, Forni, and Terrell, uh, this would be the ends of the earth, the, this region here in America, while others say, the other interpretation is that we take our hometown as Jerusalem, and so Kaufman County would be our Judea and Dallas our Samaria, to which we can say, sure, either one. The call is still the same. It doesn't matter where we are. Uh, we're going to go to be witnesses in these places all at the same time. What if I cannot fly to the ends of the earth? What if God has not called me to be an overseas missionary? Pray for those who are going. Help those who are going with finances and witness where you are. In fact, if you have a desire to be an overseas missionary, first of all, please listen to that call and go. But if you're not currently being a missionary here, what's the point? What are you going to do when you get there? We are missionaries by call no matter our geographical location, no matter where we are bound in time and space as we sit in these folding chairs. We are part of this legacy. This was the call of the church then and it is the call of the church now to be salt and light to proclaim the message of sins forgiven and lives transformed by the gospel. It is a high and lofty call, one that will cost our lives So how do we do it? Look at what has come before. Go back to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses. You have power first, and then you witness For us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The power for the call is not in us, but it is for us by faith. Look at verse nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I think it'd be kind of funny if you saw it. Because they're, hey, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> Taken up into heaven, who will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is returning. This is the not yet, but the yet. It is not full, but it is coming. Jesus is returning to fully usher in the new age, the new heavens, the new earth. The eternal kingdom is coming. And it's a beautiful truth, but It's only beautiful for those who know Jesus. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus, through his sinful church, is bringing more and more men and women into this kingdom. And so in this way, and probably in this way alone, we don't want Jesus to come back yet. Because there are still more that do not know him. There are still more who do not believe, and we know them. For us who believe this is our call, will you answer? Practically, how in the world do we do this? What help do we have to be able to have the courage to step into sometimes awkward places, sometimes really tough places to to speak and proclaim the gospel? How do we, if we are called to be um, a missionary overseas as opposed to here, uh, how do we step into lands where it's completely and totally anti-Christian? How do we speak to those who, you know, they, they think they are a Christian? What help do we have? This is Luke 24, 36 through 48. And this is, The same Dr. Luke writing this, This these are the last thing he says in the Gospel of Luke before he gets to Acts, starting in 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. This is where they were talking, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, rightfully so, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses, martyrs of these things. And here we see our central point, our greatest treasure our deepest motivation to obey this call, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus suffered and died, but arose from the dead three days later. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations so that we all, those who we are witnessing to, we can stand before the same Father and worship in the same way, the same glory. Our eternity is secure if we are believers, but we live in a world of people who do not yet know this truth and do not yet have this eternal security. And it would be an absolute tragedy for any of them to go without hearing the good news of the gospel. If they reject it, that's on them. But if they do not hear it, that's on us. We do so with power from the Holy Spirit. It is costly, but it is supremely worth it because of the cost that Jesus has paid on our behalf. And the truth is, we will only witness to the gospel as we know the gospel. We will only witness, we will only talk about, we will only proclaim that which we know. If we know only a little tiny gospel, that yeah, Jesus saved me, but meh. Or I go to church every now and then, or yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. We won't aspire to witness to that which we do not strive to know. And so, our whole lives should be centered on and revolving around the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has taken everything that we deserved on himself and given us Everything that he deserved. And so all of our lives, as the church, as part of this legacy, it's still the same. It's still the same to remember this same gospel. It's still the same to go and witness to this same gospel. In order to do this today, we will remember the gospel by partaking of the Lord's Supper together. Because in it, we see it. We see the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus that all at once made a way for sinners to come into the kingdom as royalty, as adopted sons and daughters. And one day, one day, it will be fully and finally and forever true. One day, death will, will never touch us again. One day, tears will never fill our eyes again. And we will worship, and we will praise, and we will give glory to our great Father as he is before us. So as we partake, if you're a believer, you are welcome to the table as family to visibly remember the gospel and to visibly witness to this gospel. However, if you are not yet a believer or if you're in unrepentant sin, please remain in your seat in this time for you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. But take this time to examine your heart and life. If you're in unrepentant sin, believe in the gospel that Jesus has forgiven your sins once and for all in his death on the cross. And that as the Father looks at you, he sees nothing but the righteousness of Jesus. And return to the Father. Believe again today. There's no shame left for you. Take this time to repent. If you're an unbeliever, Listen to the good news of the gospel one more time. In and of yourself, you have no righteousness. There are not enough good deeds that you can bring to the table that will ever justify you before a holy and glorious God. But if you will admit your sin and utter need for a savior from this life of sin, and if you will believe that Jesus took your place under God's wrath to give you his place in God's safety, And you too will be saved. And if this is you, take this time to speak with your father about it. If you aren't sure, if you do not know, uh, please find me after, and, and I would love to talk to you about it. But if you know, as you sit there and you have become a believer, welcome to the family. Welcome to the call. Welcome to this history and this legacy. If you're sitting here this morning and you think you believe, but your life simply doesn't look like a witness and you're worried, good. Be worried. And ask your Father to help you grow. That worry is the fruit of a life that has been saved because dead people simply do not worry about if they're glorifying the Father by witnessing to the gospel. So, live by the power of the Spirit, and go. For all of us, here is our prayer. Father, we admit and confess that we need this body and this blood to cover our sin of failing to witness about your gospel for fear of man. Would you, by your spirit and grace, give us the power needed to witness well the gospel according to the gospel and we ask this in jesus name amen so for all of us take your time to think through and pray through what god has given you um, in his word and uh, really examine your heart and life by it and then when you're ready grab the elements at the back of the room and uh, bring them back to your seat and we'll take them all together here in a minute Acts and before uh, the era of the church began it all began with the same way by the gospel if you go back just a little bit before before Jesus was crucified on the night when he was betrayed by Judas Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father we thank you for the good news of the gospel that as we sit in and of ourselves, we have absolutely no hope. We are mere sinners with no, no way to eternity, no way to stand before your holy and righteous presence. Yet because of your son taking, the place of a sinner who deserves wrath so that we could have the deserved place of a son and daughter. We thank you for adopting us into this family of faith by grace. And Father, we pray that uh, because of that, because of the good news of the gospel, (laughs) That you, would, that you would make it so beautiful to our brains, so amazing in our minds that we have nothing but to witness about it. So that this legacy of yours, so that your glory, so that you find pleasure in when you look at and see your church proclaiming nothing else but your blood, God, in in order for this to happen, in order for any of us to properly witness, in order for any of us to properly understand the gospel, for any of us to breathe, you have to do it. And so we pray that you would, Father. And for those of us who are who are brought low because of because of what the fall has done, because of illness, because of death that is still ringing in the back of our brains, would you remind us that one day, because of your son, it will no longer be our reality? Would you give us hope by the gospel, and when we forget it, would you bring us back to the gospel? so that it is all revolving and it will always revolve around your son. We want to believe, God help our unbelief. Bring us to a place of remembrance before you now as we worship, as we reflect on your word, Father. Let our hearts cry out and surrender to you. Because the truth is, Father, where else can we go? Where else do we find eternal life but in you? Where else do we find our hope and our peace and our righteousness but in you? God, let our hearts reflect our utter hopelessness on our own. (coughs) but the other praise that we have for your gospel. by it, give us life. And we pray all and every one of these things in the only way that we have, through Jesus' beautiful name, amen.